All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Forging Brains Podcast. I'm your host, Riley Kirkpatrick, my co-host, Gavin Cooper. Today we got an awesome guest, Carl Via. Carl is from Virginia, and he's been pretty heavy on the scene for the last, like, man, four or five years. Carl's been whipping ass and taking names and doing pretty good at the WCB. And he's also a guy that has no shortage of things going on at home. And uh, I think it's just an interesting perspective because Carl's not a guy to make excuses. He is just keeps hammering on and just gets everything done. So I'm excited to have everybody hear a little bit about Carl or more about Carl because we had him on shortly with the rest of the WCB team back uh, a while ago now. So welcome, Carl. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us absolutely yeah thank you for having me you're an afa tester as well right or what is your association with the afa going on right now yeah busy um, with that as well yeah tester and a certification instructor um i was kind of voluntold that position a while back (laughs) um just because it leads back to um having the facility to have the virginia certification for a long long time the guy that i first apprenticed with found us and that's how i got into horseshoeing and he was involved with the certification process and um so i've, I've been hanging around the certification since i was like 12 13 years old and before i was oh, a horseshoer you know so our farm kind of became like the place where everybody knew like oh that's that place where you know the certification happens you know oh you're, you're the guy that has the farm where we do the certification so everybody kind of related me to that guy early on in the scene and so as i became a farrier and started chewing and and um you know worked on my certification then it was just easy to just just to still host it and then then it became easy to just help out being a tester and and then when the certification instructor thing happened with the afa um they were like well we need a certification instructor in our area yeah carl do it you know, <laughs> Carl do it. Okay. So that's kind of how I got drugged into that, which is fun. I enjoy doing it, you know, so, um, but since then, uh, when Travis Burns kind of got things rolling down at Virginia tech, that became a way better place to have a certification, you know, just the, the whole school environment, you know, the, the arena where we do the horses down there, um, has attached classrooms, that are heated and air conditioned and out of the weather. You know, you're not in an indoor riding arena with, you know, of course it's always a miserable weekend of weather when you try to have an event and everybody opens, when someone opens the arena door, wind blows open the door and blows all your paperwork all over the dirt floor. And you know, you know how it is being (laughs) at a certification. So it was nice at tech because we could just have a classroom environment and be way more organized. So it was, Mm -hmm. so I haven't done a certification here in, in a couple of years. So, um, but yeah, that's how did that come out in the like first place? Like, did your folks like how did they come about coming there to your place initially? Before you said when you were like twelve years old, you weren't the one to say come here. Right. Yeah. It was our the guy that I apprenticed with. Um, his name is Harold Plaster, and he moved down from Pennsylvania to an area just north of me, about ten minutes, and okay. just to be more involved with the Virginia Horseshoers Association. They were having a dilemma of finding a place. And he was like, well, hey, I just moved to Louisa and I passed this horse farm that has 30, 40 horses 
and they have it indoor, maybe I'll stop in and say hi and introduce myself. So that's what he did. And my mom being kind of cheap was like, wait, you're going to shoe a bunch of horses for free? Yeah, come on. You know, like, I don't care what you do. You know, so <laughs> um, that's how that got going. And, and then that's how, um, you know, Harold got to, like, also start our horses because, you know, like I said, I was just a kid, but my mom thought it was really cool that, you know, the guys were hot fitting and fitting horses. And it's like, this sounds like I need to get one of these guys in this arena to, to take over, you know, being my, my farrier. So, so from that That's moment on, is that kind of how you like got wanted to become a farrier at that point? It was just by being around it that early or did you yeah. know before that? Yeah, I didn't want to be a, a farrier at all. Um, cause the, the guys I've seen come through our farm before that guy were just a bunch of local guys and a stuff thrown in the bed of a pickup truck. Their life story was always miserable. You know, they didn't want to go home. <laughs> like, you know, they were sore, tired, you know, like beat up and, you know, it just didn't seem like they had all their stuff together. So I was like, I don't know if I want to be, um, I don't know if I want to be one of these guys, but the guy that I ended up apprenticing with seemed like that he had his act together. Like he drove a vehicle that looked like it could make it from A to B. It looked like he could afford clean clothes and nice shoes. And you know, so it's like, oh, maybe you can make a living doing this. <laughs> so um, now I wanted to be a mechanical engineer. So I was going to school for that. And, um, you know, that guy being our farrier at the time, I'm in the barn hanging out with him. And he's asking me as a high school kid what I wanted to do when I grew up. And he's like, no, you're not. You're a farm boy. You're going to be a horseshoer. I don't care what you say, but you don't know what you're going to do, but I know what you're going to do. And so that was, okay, I, I guess I'll, I'll try, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the ball took off from there. <laughs> you got exposed right then just by yeah. seeing, you know, people hop fit and everything like that, instead of having to go down the wrong path and struggle at it and then find the, find the way. Yeah. Yeah, the best thing he ever did was getting me involved right off the bat with the great group of guys, the Virginia Horseshoers Association. You know, they're all cool dudes in that group that even you guys know, like Scott Collier and John Kern. Mm -hmm. and, you know, that that group is, you know, they're, you know, Russ Height. You know, everybody everybody knows Russ and knows that group of guys. And so I've been, you know, they've seen me come up from, you know, a kid. <laughs> so just a little squirt yeah so do you yeah. do you feel like you kind of owe for like the virginia association like is that why you end up saying yes to a lot of the things because you're like well if it wasn't for them <laughs> pretty much yeah yeah i mean i have a hard time saying no anyway <laughs> but uh but they i do owe them a lot you know they got me on the good you know a really good path and they told me from the get-go the best thing you can have is your reputation you know, so don't go out there, don't, you know, make an ass of yourself in front of your clients and show up on time, be punctual and, you know, just look like you want to care and, and you want to know why and you want the horse to do better and, and you'll have a successful career. And I owe it to them. You know, they got Absolutely. me off on that foot. So. <clears throat> How long was it until then you got into like the wcb and wanting to go that route of like competing and everything that's my biggest regret because i started with the wcb in 2015 when uh they came to virginia and that's the year that the hurricane kind of shut down the state fair and 
we were all That's tucked right. away in that covered covered pavilion. That was my first WCB event. But I did join the WCB in 2007 because that guy that I apprenticed with was like, hey, you know, he like his idols are the same as ours. You know, like he, he's like, hey, the, there's a WCB starting up. They're going to have a super clinic in Houston. Like all the names of the farrier industry are going to be there. They're going to they're going to have like 10, 15 clinicians and you don't know who they are, but you're going. And that's why my number is 187 because I was that guy standing in line to join, you know, the opening day of the clinic. So that was their first membership drive, I believe. So, but my big, I thought that they, the people there were like the elite of the trade. And, but in 2007, I was just barely getting out on my own. I wasn't certified or anything yet. And I was like, man, that, those guys are like, that's the target. Like that's the, the, the end goal is to be like those WCB guys. But I thought mm -hmm. I got years to get under my belt before I can even consider that. But I didn't understand how it worked until I got involved. I didn't realize there was a novice in a category one, two, three, four. And if I knew that. So that's that, kind of what held you back for eight years from 2007 to 2015. You just thought you weren't necessarily yeah. there to be there. Yeah, I thought you had level. to be like the, the top journeyman, top open competitor at the local contest before you can even think about entering. And that was my that's my biggest regret. You know, but you gotta think 2007, 2015 wasn't exactly the 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 world of smartphones either, you know. So True. <laughs> you, you weren't sitting on the toilet on Facebook in two thousand seven, you know, <laughs> like it you know, so you didn't really get a full grasp of things unless you got the newsletter, you know, or dial up with my crappy internet in the country and you know get on a website which never yeah. happened so um so no that's my biggest regret is not getting involved sooner you know once i got there and realized that there was a tier system and i immediately went into category two because i had done well in open um into local at a local contest and i knew they asked me if i knew how to run a coke fire it's like yeah i have one at home you know, I use it all the time, and they're like, okay, well, then you're a cat, too. So, oh, okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> put, put, so. put me where you think. Uh, I'll go wherever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, because um, it's, like, completely the opposite of that, you know? They just want get you in there, you know, get the experience right from the get-go, right? Like, you don't yeah. necessarily have to be a top competitor to sign up. Absolutely. And I, I didn't realize it until I got there, you know, and, and the reason I went that time, because I still thought I wasn't quite ready for it, but Russ Height and I were president and vice president of the Virginia Horseshoers Association and Russ knew Craig and them making contact. We were like, Hey, let's, uh, let's ask the WCB if they want to come to our state fair. And Craig was up for it. He's like, Oh yeah, I'd love a different venue. And the biggest thing is, you know, can you guys be there to, to get Coke picked up, you know, at the shipyard and have it available? And can you bring horses? So Russ immediately calls me and he's like, hey, I, would you bring 10 horses to the contest if we get the WCB here? And I was like, wow, that's really cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll don't worry about it. I got the horses. And uh, Easy as that. <laughs> easy as that, yeah. And, um, and it was so cool because I was so... Um, I was like, I knew I was going to be judged by bringing those horses there. You know, I was like, man, these guys are all going to see my work because these are all our riding school horses, you know, here at the farm. And um, I was like, I got to make sure I had these guys looking great. So like I kept them on a strict like four to five week schedule for like three shoeings leading up to it. And I had three quarter <laughs> fuller handmaids on every horse. 
and I was like, man, I hope they all keep their shoes on. I don't want any hoof wall missing on any horse. And, and I remember that was the first time I met Tom Peterson. He, he came up to me and was like, hey, I've never seen you before, met you before. It's good to have you here, but did you bring these horses? And I was like, yes, sir. You know, he was wearing the team logo, and I was like, you must, like, I can't believe you're talking to me, but uh, yeah, I brought these horses, and he thanked me. He was like, this is one of the best group of horses I've ever seen at a contest. It's like, I thank you for bringing them, and they're standing good, and everybody's feet are really nice. And I thought that was just a cool compliment. You know, I'll never forget, because I was like, I, wow, I can't believe one of the team guys thought that my horse's feet look nice. And, and it wasn't until I go to other contests, I realized that they were just like roping, you know, some, some wild broodmares out of a field and dragging them into the, you know, into the arena. I was like, oh, okay. Now I see why they enjoyed the horses I brought. So. Yeah. It's like, you're lucky if you get one that has foot on it. Right. Some, yeah. Like, in, beat up. yeah. Like we have a couple here that like, I have one slightly clubby foot and I'm like, that doesn't make the cut. Nope. Mm-mm, can't take that one. <laughs> like, <laughs> one want them all to be exactly the same, you know, exactly the same. Everybody kind of makes work. Now we go to competitions and we think like, I don't care what the feet look like as long as they stand. As long as yeah. they stand yeah. good. I He could have yeah. barely any foot. I'll be happy. <laughs> just yeah. I hope it stands yeah. well. <laughs> Or, yeah, or you want it to stand good, but you kind of don't mind having the worst foot on the floor because then you kind of give a hall pass to do something cool. You know, like the, the best I've placed in shoeing classes were on a foundered broodmare that had prolapsed sole, and I put like a Dutch rocker on it and, you know, and like like a full rocker mm-hmm. with a toe clip. And I was, that wasn't even called for in the shoeing class, but I talked to the judge and I was like, hey, I got to do something kind of crazy to get this thing get some wall contact and he was like man good luck do what you want to do and and um i think i played second in that class because it was just something different you know i did i improved the horse and right you know it's easy yeah. to take a 10 foot and lose points through the go but it's it's oh, kind yeah. of fun to take a six foot and gain points through a go you know so that's that's kind of so sometimes you look a for good, that good one I think that's a good one because, like, so every that's what you hear everybody talk about all the time. They're like, competitions, they don't care about the horse. The horse doesn't matter. They just do what they got to do to it. Where, like, you just, like, that was such a good example of a time that you improved that horse greatly. Like, maybe you did almost a more stellar job on at the competition than you would every day just because so many people, you knew so many people were going to look at it. Yeah. You know? Where it's like, man, that obviously improved the horse. That was all for it right there. That's a mm-hmm. that's a pretty good one. Yeah, and you can't you you can't like help but get the judge backed into a corner when you're improving the horse as you go. You know, yeah. and, and they're can't like, fault you for it. Yeah, and you just kinda and then if you can just if you can pull it off as you go, then you 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 watch your points increase through the class. But if you have the dream draw pull up and you don't get it perfectly flat or you leave one little corner or they, they, Whoa, that's not perfect. Uh, Eight, five, yeah. you, know, like, you know, cause they, they see what you could make it and they judge you on that. But if you take something that's like, man, good, you know, this is, this is a terrible draw and, and you kind of make something cool looking out of it, then you know, so anyway, I know that was you. You no, you, you almost you almost show them the impossible real quick because like where you told him you're like yeah I got to do something wild to make wall contact and he's like yeah whatever man you ain't making wall contact <laughs> that's not happening like and yeah. then he comes back he's like that motherfucker did it 
Like, yeah. he, got, he got contact. Yeah, it's like uh, the inner rim was like maybe an eighth inch thick, you know, because I deep seated it so much, you know, and, and like you could tell that it was off off the sole. Like, That's it was a like, solid bowl, yeah. That's pretty good. Like, all right, prop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bet. You know, like, man, you yeah. know so sometimes you it's can, risky. You can get but... the judge to get, to get me like, I don't know if I could have pulled that off. They're, like, they can't help but uh, score you pretty well on that. Yeah, yeah. And then there was um there was one time too, I think it was when Craig was judging, we had to do tool and fuller on the horse with Hunter Heels, just like the um like the team challenges with the like pleasure fit on the hind, the lateral and hunter fit, you know, the rest of the way around the horse. And um of course I drew like a stovepipe foot where the heels come down like hook in real hard. And I was like, mm. I I was like, I this this foot will never have a hunter heel on it. You know, I was I it needs I want to put a three eighths three quarter shoe on this with double reverse heel checks, you know, and right. And so I was like, God so I called Craig over, I was like, Hey, come here, I want you to look at this before we get going. And um I was like, You know as well as I do that this is gonna look terrible with Hunter Heel like something's not gonna be covered. And uh he was like, Well, what do you think? What are you gonna do? And I'm like, Well, I'm gonna hard stop it and put reverse heel checks on this hunter front. He was like Okay. And I'm like, so I get your hall pass. I'm not hunter fitting, right? And he's like, Hey guys, do you like that Christmas morning feel of opening up a box, not knowing what's inside? Feeling all sorts of excitement to find out what's inside? Well, let me tell you, you can feel that excitement every other month with a subscription to Farrier Box. Most farriers want to be competitive, whether it's attracting top-notch clients or winning contests. They take the tools and tricks of the trade used by today's top farriers and ship them to you so you have what you need to take your career to the next level. Go to farrierbox.com to start your subscription and use code BRAINS for 25% off your first month's box. I repeat, use code BRAINS for 25% off your first order. I know I like receiving packages but I like it even more when it's a surprise, but also knowing I'm getting cool tools and tricks from Farrier Box. There's nothing out there like it in today's world of farriery, so you might as well go and level up with Farrier Box. Go to www.farrierbox.com and use code BRAINS for 25% off your first month's order. Thanks, guys. Let's get back to the podcast. Yep. And so it looked like a concave shoe, you know, like I had it a hard stop all the way around. Yeah. And uh, I think Dylan was striking for me. And I was like, Dylan, it's going to get a little Western. It's going to get weird here in a second. I was like, but just <laughs> trust me. <laughs> he's like, he's like, what are you doing? I was like, I want to hard stop my fuller in on this tool fuller front. And he's like, are you crazy? What are you doing? <laughs> I was like, it's going to be all right. Yeah. Like, and so anyway, like, but it, it, it turned out pretty cool. Like I placed good in the class and that's what i was just know, about to ask how'd you place with it yeah. i don't know where exactly but I, I mean i was top three or four you know somewhere in there you know and um you know so sometimes you, you got to do you know something out of the ordinary if you have an added ordinary foot you know and you do something a little different you talk to the judge beforehand sometimes it's kind of cool to work out yeah but, but if you don't pull it a, off it's nice. what like uh a vision that you're able to have that you're like you know draws you drawn from your experience you, 
you can just already see on that foot. You know, I, I know a lot of guys would be like, nope, it's a hunter fit. And, like, they would have never even asked Craig. They would have tried to do it and failed. I'm probably one of those guys. And, you know, but for you to see, you're like, I'm going to do something completely different. Because that's also not just, like, doing something different there. You're doing something different in your go. Now, yeah, like, you, don't yeah. get to, you don't get to do the go how you had practice. And so right. it's like, is that it? Is that hard for you in it? Like, are you having to like double check thing going to the foot? Oh, sorry. Are you having to like measure a bunch? Like, or is it pretty easy for you to to just pick up a new game plan? Yeah, it's not too bad. Sometimes you gotta like walk a few circles with your ruler and not talk to anybody for like three or four minutes just to like go through the process. And it's like, okay, I'm not putting a hunter heel on, so I'm not actually growing as much as I would. I need to. I need more steel because I'm doing a reverse heel check. I'm going to probably think, you know, then you just kind of like start popping through how much more steel you need and and then just kind of go off the hip, <laughs> kind of go with your gut feeling. You know, so, and then, and then so, this same so. process has kicked me in the butt though because there was times I picked up a foot, especially out west where the feet are dry, and I'm like, man, I'll, I'll draw a hind and it looks like a front. I'm like, I might be able to carve this into a hind. I don't think I can get into the sole. So I call the judge over and I'm like, hey, is it okay if I just make a really ugly front shoe for this and just try to survive? You know, it's just going to be a roundy. Just giving you a heads up. It's hard, The foot's hard as a brick. It's going to be a roundy. And they're like, okay. And then I already set them up for what I'm going to do. But then I start trimming it and then a big false sole pops out and there's a beautiful hind shape underneath of it. And then I end up putting like some stupid false lateral quarter on it and go like full on like pointish behind and then they come around they're like you didn't do anything what you said you know and then i got a terrible and then i don't even place it all in the shoe you know so sometimes you gotta be careful like telling them too much of your plan because it can bite you in the butt too it's like i should have said shouldn't have said anything like you know because then they judged me on what i said i was going to do and then i didn't do anything close to what i was gonna, what i said i was going to do Oh. Yeah, but could anybody have known that there was going to be that big old thing of false soul in there to pop out? Like, you didn't see yeah, that before, I... and the judge didn't see it before, did they? No, no. They were like, okay, yeah, it looks hard as a brick. Make a front, you know, just survive. And then I got in there, and and then it just popped loose, and you can't help but chase it then when you get that lump come out, like, in front of the seat corner of the bar. And it's like, well. Mm-hmm. And as I started going around, I, then I reached for my nippers and started, like, popping soul out with my nippers. and <laughs> Committed like, oh. now. Yeah, I was like, now a minute. Now yeah, I just turned in, this into a twenty minute trim. We're in deep <laughs> now, boys. We're in deep. <laughs> yeah. You know, I guess and, the uh the biggest thing I took away from that is like don't be afraid to ask over the judge, get their opinion, or if you have a game plan, tell them it and then show intention or whatever, and then you'll be able to walk away with points out of that if you are able to do it the way you explain it, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely what to take away from that is don't be afraid to talk about it, especially to the judge. But okay, now switch your head from you being a competitor and you being a judge. If you were a judge and somebody told you like, hey, I'm this foot's pretty hard, you know, same situation. And you come back around and it's this sweet hind shape and they fit it well. Are you going to hold that against them? That's a good point. That is a really good point. Um, so like that instance that I was just like that, that experience I was just talking about, I didn't fit it that great. 
you know, I mm. I was like, oh, there is a hind, and then I made a hind, you know, like I shot the lateral <laughs> quarter way off, you know, and then came back, you know, so like I exaggerated it even more. And so, but yeah, if they pulled off, like if they, um, if I was judging and they said, this is a kind of a front shape, you know, bear with me, I'm going to survive the go. And then they popped out a hind and they made a beautiful hind and it fit. I don't think I would have faulted them for it, but I, I did not pull it off on that go. You know, did that you have was, too much steel at that point? Uh, I think I did have a little too much steel. Yeah. And I think I tried to hide it yeah. in the quarter, in the lateral quarter. And yeah, I think Tom <laughs> Peterson was judging that one. And he was like, nah, <laughs> like, yeah. he, was, he was not happy with me at all. <laughs> he was not happy. <laughs> like, so, Tom's good. But, <laughs> yeah. that, it's a super hard one judge, judging things, though, like that, of how people are going to do something. You know, it's like that. It's been something that's been running through my head a bunch, like for the past year, even of like more trying to think of as a judge than a competitor, just to trying to get that mindset of, you know, how they're thinking. And like that, I think that that does happen subconsciously where judges are kind of like already in the pregame already have thought of like what they would maybe do to the foot and everything. And then when it's different, they're like, Whoa, that's not what I would have done. Or like, that's not what we talked about. Yeah. Yeah. That's when points start going down. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so you've judged some things like, how do you go about judging the horse and how do you like, even how do you go about scoring the horse, you know, scoring a trim and how do you score something that's a nine compared to a seven or in between? And does that, I know this is getting a long winded question here. And does that differentiate when you are then scoring a horse for say certifications? Well, the certification, you're just scoring everybody against the book, you know, so we're, we're trying to not allow anybody else in the arena have any effect over that one candidate with the book, you know, and it's, did they just provide a safe trim and a safe fit that is functional? And where does it lie within the parameters that they give us in the book on how to score? So when you're scoring a contest, you're not, you're trying not to tell yourself that's what I would have done or what I, what I wouldn't have done. It's did this guy do that job better than that guy and then that guy and then that guy. And you try to have like a common playing field where you can let them all lay. You know, it's like, okay, this guy made it to the 10 yard line. This guy made it to the 20 yard line. This guy made it to the 30 yard line. You know, so that's, that's what goes through my mind when I'm judging a field of, of, of players, basically. So you're grading, you know, you're grading on a, on a curve almost. I guess you would say like a curve, you know, like in, in the back of your head, just from having experience at contest, you're like, okay, if a foot's presented like this, this should be, you know, cause you gotta have a starting point in the curve, you know? So it's like, okay, the base should be a nine, not the base, but like the, the most solid thing you can do to that foot could be a nine. And then if it's above a nine, it's like, that's root solid plus, you know, like that was really cool, man. The, the lines and the knife work is just beautiful. So then you go above a nine, you know, so like that's where I would, I start, you know, so if you see things that looked unnecessary and unintentional, then you start going below a nine. It's like, it really wasn't necessary for them to do this, to this frog, 
you know, so you start mm -hmm. cutting off points. And at the same time, it really wasn't necessary for them to leave these wavy lines in the soul or different planes in the soul. So you start cutting oh. off tens of points. Okay, so that say, would that be a whole point then? You're like, on, on like rough knife work, you're an eight now. It's depending on the severity of it. Yeah, like as, as long as it looks... Like, because the worse it gets, the more unintentional it looks. And then, yeah, then it starts being a whole point. Yeah. You know, and then, I, in so my opinion, you... if you start getting below a seven, you're starting to get pretty detrimental to the horse at a contest. Yeah. You know, like, I shouldn't say detrimental, but it's like, wow, they really got after this. You're going to be below That's a seven. That's a really close little corner. That's a really close corner there. Seven to a nine. Is only, it's only two points, two, yeah. only two points. And so that's like yeah. you're going well, from like solid job to close to blood and two points. Well, well, yeah, but at the same time, I you never want a shoeing contest to be a trimming contest. You don't want it all to be decided there. So you want to keep the trimming score within reason. You know, you can't let the guy who trimmed the foot kind of short give him a six, but then he does a beautiful fit and finish, but he can never recover from the short trim. And in the shoemaking, he could have deep-seated the shoe or, you know, didn't he barely burned. You know, just got that thing fit on there and actually took care of the foot. So it's like, wait, he was maybe short in the trim, but he just lost the contest because it was a trimming contest, not a shoeing contest. You know, so you yeah. kind of need to let all the scores play out, you know. But it's a, uh, it's, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. It's, it's. A horse shoeing contest, not just a shoeing contest. So trimming is pretty important. Like it, that's it is. I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not a good judge because like the first time I judged with poor, I'm like, that's a fucking four and a half over there. And poor's like, whoa, whoa, you can't give somebody a four and a half. Like, it's like, well, like to me, it's like detrimental zero, and we're going up from there, you know. But it's like, but oh, it is like course. if you gave somebody a four in a contest, it's not going to be good. Yeah, I'm not saying those points don't ex exist in the scoring a contest. Don't get me wrong. When I say like, you know, start being detrimental to the horse, I shouldn't say like, you know, blood and taking the horse's pulse because that is a yeah, four, yeah. three. <laughs> yeah. Don't yeah, don't don't get me yeah. wrong about giving no, no, someone no, the yeah. proper points, but but like, I haven't judged a contest yet where it's been worse than a. I shouldn't say a certification, but a certification, I've stopped plenty of people for having a three or a four. And I'm like, sorry, yeah, yeah. look, just take a deep breath, sit in the back of your truck, we're going to go over this real quick. You know, like, I have mm -hmm. that conversation at certifications, but every contest I've judged so far, I enjoy having a little speech to the novice after the contest, and I thank them. I'm like, thank you, novice, for allowing me to allow you to nail your shoes on. Every one of you. You know, yeah, like that, not that's a big compliment. Everybody got to finish. <laughs> like, thank you mm -hmm. for yeah. not having me be the bad guy to be like, this is completely not nailable. No, you can't nail this on because I'd never want to be that guy. You know, so because they can proceed, you know, if they can proceed to the next part of the contest or a certification, they have to average a, you know, like a, like a seven score. You know, if it's below that, then you're kind of borderline. Like, I don't know what they're going to do with this. You know, you know, like a certification, you got to stop, you know, or go if they don't have a certain amount of points through the, the trimming aspect of the test. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever known of like during a contest or something, somebody's had to stop because of blood or something like or be stopped because of blood. 
Do you know of anything right? like that? Yeah, I've seen I've seen it twice. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah, that's and not good. Okay. Usually it's the one time I saw a guy knife too deep to blood the horse. And the other one he just stuck the crap out of him. Just Oh, with the nail. With the nail. Yeah, like stuck him real good. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a fountain. Like, it, was, <laughs> it was not good. So, Carl, if oh. you're judging like a WCB or something, there's 40 competitors at that time. How is it that you can keep 40 different guys? Because they're all, not all happening right at the same time. How can yeah. you keep in mind number one through number 40 as it's going on through like a, I think it's like what, a six hour day, seven hour day of just shooing? How can you keep I, I that in only... mind, like, this one's better than that one or whatever? <laughs> it's got to be tough. I've, I've never judged a field like that before. You know, at least it's um, throughout. Like, the most, the most spread I've ever done was, uh, was like, four different shoeing rounds, just like at WCB, but at least it was, like, a blanket of, of one division, and then you, they spill into the oh, next okay. round, you know, like, novice and then you have intermediate be in the back half of the second and go into the third so you got to think just about one round ahead of you you know then it spills into the open in the afternoon so you're not you're kind of comparing three different groups to to one to each other but at wcb you're comparing 40 people at in the same round you know yeah in the the main perspective so like i would think that to keep that straight you would just have to have that that standard in your head of what you know of what ideal is and then you start adding and gain you know adding points or taking away points or tenths of points from there you know i've i've seen shoeing scores be really really close you know like you can between 10 placings might only have a half a point and to you know their total shoe score you know like class score and and i can i can see how that can happen you know you look at three horses in a row and you're like well eh, eight eight and then you go to the next one dang this is just like that one that's an 8-8 you know and I, I can see how that could be difficult but just yeah, trust the system on split up it's got to yeah, just split trust up somehow just, yeah you i guess you would just trust the system on on how the points can separate as as you go through all the scores you know and and just try to think about it as you go along you know that's why i don't that's why i think the trim score Unless you do something really heinous, you, know, you got to try to keep them within reason. You know, you don't want it to be the deal breaker of the of the competition. You know, obviously, if you had a shoe that was, an, you know, an inch of covering the heels, you're not going to give that fit score a, you know, an eight. It's going to be a four. Right. <laughs> so right. Yeah. And and if the, the the trim was that bad to start off with, yeah, it would be a four. You know, because I think there's more heinous stuff happens later in the class than in the beginning. Yeah, I would agree. Typically, I would agree with that for sure. you know, like I've seen some really bad fits, you know, and but they get on. They might not cover, but some of the foot or <laughs> way too much of it. Yeah. You know, so. So do you? If you made it, so if you made a shoe list, and you got your specimens there, are you going about your specimens kind of the same way? Like a a nine is if you copy my specimen. Like that's a. A solid nine like if you make one nicer than my specimens that's going up you know above and yeah. you know but yeah. if you make like below then we start going down from there 
I would say so. Yeah. And and then what's what's cool about though is that when they're they're on the table and they're just trying to match your specimen, at least you can look at them all at the same time and just start sorting and just kind of have like a blend from nicest to worst as you go. And you know, like I I'll I'll group them on the table, you know, like I'll look at you know, like like well, at least the, this group of people actually made a right hind like the specimen. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Yeah. these i can't tell if they're left or right so they're going to be here <laughs> mm-hmm. and then there's a group down here that doesn't have all the elements there's no nail holes or you know half of it's melted well, off <laughs> well a question uh riley asked on the group page the forging brains facebook page what do you think goes into selecting a shoe list for a contest um let's see I did see that the other day. I saw that question and I did think about it. And I would say practicality along with um, a forging exercise at the same time. You know, it's how can you do a practical shoe but have a little bit of personality into it as well. So like when I do a shoe list, it's like, okay, like making a just a straight back heart bar. You know, like I like doing those to enter that to a contest because it's very practical for these, you know, the people to learn how to make a straight back heart bar if you're going to a just a local contest. But I'll add just enough characteristic to it that gives it makes it challenging, you know, like the size of the frog plate or, you know, the shape of the foot along with the size of the frog plate. Just little things like that. So I, I, yeah. but I think that with, with every shoe, you know, like if you make a side bone, it's like, well, maybe I'll make a really exaggerated side bone, you know, that has a real tall medial lift that, you know, is like that little thing in there that they should see about noticing. And if they can pull off the characteristics that make it a little indifferent, you know, like when, like looking at specimens at a contest, you want to see the things that, that are were important to them because that's like the little personality of the judge, you know, like we just had yeah. Poe judge in Madison and you can see in each one of those shoes which element he cared about the most. And so you try to think, focus on the personality characteristics of those shoes. And it was like the shape and element. It's like, okay. And you try to pull that off. If you do anything else, you pull off those things, they're going to stay alive. And like the, the he liked, he had us do concave on the horse. And I remember there being like a Facebook discussion on toe clipping and safing the hind. So like Mike had Dude, a like a you demonstration. You fucking killed it. I'm just gonna <laughs> well, throw it out there now. Like, that's fuck. what I was just thinking of. <laughs> you well, killed it. <laughs> well, but see that the reason that that happened was because Mike was going to judge everybody on how they safed and toe clipped concave. And I was like, well, I'm not just going to cone a clip in it and then just fold over to the left. That's what everybody else is going to do, you know. So like. I want to make the one thing that he's going to look at because unless you do something heinous to the rest of the shoe, it's just turned it, like there's not much character to the rest of concave. Right, you know what I mean? Right. It's, it's not about, it's not a game of section, you know, so yeah, it's hard to judge. Right. So I was like, I'm going to give him a really cool safe toe with a clip on it. And, and I remember Mike had my shoe back and he was like, dude, <laughs> What? what? <laughs> like, and then just walked off. Like, didn't, did and, you get best shod foot in your uh, division? I didn't get best shod foot, but I I did win the class. Yeah. The um, okay. Yeah. Um, money got best shod foot that day. I uh, 
I, I didn't do like my trim. That was a trim that hung me because it, the foot didn't look like it had anything. So I told Mike, I was like, Hey, I'm just going to like dust down the heels and leave the front half alone. He was like, all right, well, I dusted the heels down. I started getting my seat of corn and I found a little, a little track. And I was like, Oh, there is foot under here. And then here he, we go again. <laughs> yeah. So he gave me, he gave me an ash chewing for it. He was like, I thought you were going to stay off the front half of that foot. So I killed your trim score. You, well, do what you got to do, you know, like, <laughs> you know, so that was, I think that was my worst score of the, of that class was my trim. So that kind of hung me up, but, but looking at specimens though, like that's why it's important to kind of find the, the personality that's in each one and kind of, I don't want to say hyper-focus on it, but you want to make sure you pull off that, you know, that part. <laughs> Do you, you know, so. uh, do you care letting out your secret of how you did that toe? Yeah, well, I, I had, I'd noticed that nobody was really standing around me until I was drawing my clip in the boomerang. And then all of a sudden, at the off the brim of my hat, I could see about 30 shoes or feet standing around my ammo <laughs> yeah. in, in a huddle. They are like, what is, oh. what is he doing? Why is he drawing a clip <laughs> in a boomerang? I don't understand. My head hurts. And... Uh, <laughs> Um, but no, I just, uh, I just made a slotted bob punch that was like a half inch wide. And I, I bob punched through the hardy hole in the straight and just knocked a big, you know, like lump at the bottom of the concave. And then I quenched the inner rim and the water bucket and then came back and took the round side of my hammer and just folded the outer rim over my source hole. So I just had like a bob punch at the bottom, but I mended the fullering together. And then, uh, they went so back this in is something you, you practiced beforehand. Then you had this in your head, yeah. like this is what you were going to do. Yeah. I shot a handful of horses before I left like that. You know, I was, I was like, I'm going to have this down to a system, you know? And, <laughs> and so I found out that if I left my source and then built the whole shoe, I could never, every time I thought I wasn't flattening it or, or pritchling, like the source would slowly go away as I was building the rest of the shoe. So I struggled with getting too small of a clip. So I was like, well, maybe I'll go ahead and just draw it, and then it's I don't have to worry about smashing my source hole. So that's when I came out. And I cracked my toe. Then I would, um, you know, then I would just shear my clip into it, you know, off the heel of the anvil, and and then I'd caliper for my toenails, and you know, just take off running with the shoe after that because I didn't have to worry about messing up my my source hole. And then like shearing the clip back to the outside edge, I was able to then let it camp on the back corner of the anvil and finish tidying up my saving you know while it was sitting there so um, yeah because you had you had like no tear down on the outside rim yeah. it looked like like it, it looked yeah. like it was just brought back as yeah. i saw I, I stared at that picture for a little while i was like motherfucker i've had more people message me on facebook like how did you cl you clipped it right? And I was like, yeah, there was a clip on there. <laughs> How'd you do that? Yeah, you're like, oh yeah, there is. <laughs> Everyone can know now how you did yeah. it. It's yeah, like, did it you fun. did you even tell any of your teammates how you're gonna do it? Yeah, no, because we okay. um, what's really cool. Yeah, no, what's really cool is um, last year we were able to talk to the Turnkas about um, having that as a perk as making the team as staying on the same horse at a WCB so that we could. Have I noticed that in the shoe and schedule. Together. I was wondering if that's what it was. Yeah, we talked to him last year about it. Um, we kind of gave him the bug like two years ago, and it was like, oh, I don't know. And then we kind of kept after him, like, no, it'd be really cool because, like, 
tool and fuller day, if we have to do tool and fuller with a horse, we can leave the same block and the same anvil all day, you know, and we'll, you know, that'll actually give us more opportunity to help other people because we only need one striker, you know, so, you know, we can just keep revolving on the same horse. I was like, and then if you're at a, an event like Madison, it's an opportunity for Craig to get on the mic to be like, hey, for all you spectators, if you want to see, like, like, our team should be, should be, may not always work out that way, but, like, our poster child. Like, go check out horse number five or six, and, like, this is our target. You know, the, these are our top qualified guys that want to do the team, and they're doing a horse together, and they're working as a, as a, as a, as a team, but individually at the same time. You know, it's like... So we still try to pair. So like before that contest, I was like, hey, Dylan, I'm going to do something really weird with Concave. You want to help me try to figure it out? You know, and he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll work on it. And I said, all right, well, I'll work on it. And um, he would send me pictures. I'd send him pictures and we just go back and forth. And, you know, and then he was like, I just can't. He was like, I don't know what you're doing with that. You know, so I helped Dylan kind of walk through it a little bit. I was like, so it's important that we pair on that horse. You know, so his job also had that same, you know, folded out a rim and, you know, and toe clip on it. So, yeah, I was, you know, t obviously talking to my teammates about that and bouncing ideas off of them. And I was like, hey, mm -hmm. how does this one look? Or how does that look? And, you know, they're always there for you. Yeah, I so. seriously had the uh, the thought go through my head because uh, I was looking at the shoe and schedule and I was like, how the fuck is it that Troy got on the left or Troy got on the right front? He's in the last go. And I was like, how did they all get on the same anvil? And then they all got their foot that they normally shoe. I was like, this must be rigged or something, but then I was saying, <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, they probably talked to Craig or whatever and made it yeah. possible, but. Yeah, I don't want to say that smart. it's rigged, but it, but it's just they put it in their algorithm, you know, for, like, placing people in the order that they sign up. They just, like, highlighted out that anvil for the day and just let it all fall into yeah. place from there. You know, the the no, only I way it, like, good idea. yeah, the only way it would really mess the system up is if somebody on the team never, you know, didn't make the live shoeing, you know, then just some random person gets put in. You know, so hopefully the team always makes the shoeing, you know, going forward. <laughs> that would be embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. I wonder you'd if have, that's ever happened. You'd have to, you'd have to just never oh. come back. Never. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just like, like, sorry, guys. I got I to sail away. <laughs> Been on the team five years now. <laughs> no, oh, yeah. didn't make go. it, so sayonara. Yeah. <laughs> How many times have you been on the WCB team, Carl? Uh, that's my fifth year. Oh. oh. It's uh, it's been a cool ride. It's it's fun that uh, you know, I, I first my first year on it was uh was 2019, so that was my fourth year competing, and um, so it's I've been on the in the W I've been competing with the WCB on the team more than I haven't been on the team. So, like, so that's, that's crazy. Cool. That's really cool. So, yeah. So that's been it's been a fun ride. I've enjoyed it's every. It's pretty fun, but it's pretty busy too. Cause it's like, so you got Chase. Chase is three years old, right? Yeah, three. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I'm, and... that's why I'm hiding in my basement, you know, because he's upstairs in bed and and he, he's like a you know toddlers are ticking time bombs. They can. Oh my god. Start making noise any minute. <laughs> and <laughs> we got some noisy dogs. So yeah, for the watchers, excuse me, I'm hiding in my corner in the basement so <laughs> but yeah i think you're all right before this summer so man um, it's it's go it goes super fast it does yeah how do yeah, you sure juggle all that between family life competing uh your farm everything else that you got going family 
yeah, good family. That's the best way to say it. You know, just support from home. You know, just having everybody help hold things together while I'm gone and I hold things together while, while they might go do something and just, just take turns. Works out pretty good. So. Yeah, because how you're, you are a third generation, correct? Um, well, seventh and eighth upstairs um, mm. on the farm. So we've been here a long time. <clears throat> So. Yeah. How, how, what time, what year did you guys start that farm? Oh gosh. Um, it was in the early 1800s, um, that the, like the, the first group, like my, it was my, uh, it was my dad's side of the family. They came so here from Indiana. Pre-Civil War then. Um, yeah, there's a Civil War graveyard here. Um, yeah, All there's the a lot plates. of history. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty pretty cool. Um a lot of the family from that pretty the cool, people... but it's like haunted <laughs> as fuck. Yeah, there's a oh, I wish I had a picture of it. There's a really cool cabin back there in the woods. It's like an old log cabin that's hundreds of years old. And really the graveyard is right beside that cabin. It's pretty neat. It's um, like a but... graveyard is like a battlefield there or just because like people were there at that cabin and then they died there and I wish I knew that just story. Hard to know. Yeah, I think that um I don't think it was like a like dragging people out of the field to right there after a battle. I don't think it was like one of those kind of graveyards. I think it's a like a family cemetery. Like a cemetery, yeah. Yeah, I know uh when you were on with Riley there at uh the contest or whatever, you guys kinda of briefly touched about it and as I was editing it and listening to it, I was like, Man, that's pretty cool all the history about Carl's farm and like I was like, kinda yeah. wanna know more about it and you know, I like history yeah. myself, so that's what uh, yeah. I think is cool. Yeah, yeah. The uh, like my mom's side of the family, they're the um, it goes back to the Whipples, which uh, John Whipple is one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, and I have his desk upstairs. What? So that's yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. And, Damn. Uh, that do, you, do you know if it's the desk that he signed it on? Like, did it come no, across I'm his sure. desk? No, no, I'm, I'm sure it probably didn't come across. I don't think it went from – who knows? Yeah, I don't, I don't what, think it did. did. <laughs> I doubt it. I think they all yeah. went to the, – They went to went, one place? I, probably so, yeah. Yeah, that, that's uh, – uh, my history is – I don't know. I would terrible. tell people. I would tell it's, people that it was signed <laughs> on that desk. No, no, no. It was, it, was, it was his desk that he had in his plantation home over on the James River, and it's just kind of neat how it's kind of come down through – and uh, wound itself here. So were they in Virginia? Virginia was on the north side, right? Or were you guys on this? Yeah, we're below the Mason-Dixon. Yes, yeah, so we're the. You guys, we're the, you guys are in the. Union. Yeah, Richmond. Richmond was the capital of the Confederacy. So we were. You were the Confederacy. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, you got to get rid of that desk. <laughs> <laughs> you got to burn it. <laughs> That's not good. This plantation That's desk. History, bro? Man. <laughs> That's not a good omen right there at all. Well, no, the, well, the worst part about it is the Whipples were known as like the largest trade, like slave traders on the river. So, like, that's what like, I'm, I'm, more wor- I'm more worried about how many people were bought and sold on that desk than, uh, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's yeah. what I was but thinking. It ain't like you guys did any, you didn't do anything like that. So, not no skin off your back i wouldn't say yeah that's ancient that's ancient history yeah but it just you can't help but think it's like man 
a lot of people's lives might have changed on this desk. <laughs> <laughs> Is this something to think about? Yeah. You know, that's, how has the farm been doing the same type of farming all the way through, or how much has it changed? No, no, it's changed a lot. Um, gosh, like what's funny is we have five tenant houses on the property and, um, three of them were construction constructed during the great depression. So because my great grandfather had a, um, like a general store, which kind of helped out our whole community. You could go there to get, you know, horse feed to a pinstripe suit to chicken eggs, to, you know, you know, yeah, like a, a good general store. And, there was a mechanic, you know, there was a shop in the back, get your car worked on, get tires, you know, the whole works. Well, part of that is he had a water wheel powered sawmill off a big water wheel uh, down here. And that's our pond. You've probably seen some of the, like the WCB photos of our team getting together in front of a horse. There's a big pond in the background that's been on um, like some of the, you know, their mm-hmm. Facebook posts or whatnot. But oh, that yeah. pond goes through like a, a big concrete spillway and they, had a sawmill down there so he would sell lumber at that store like back in the back in the 20s that's pretty well sweet. they would so the the road in front of the farm was dirt then you know so like it was a big project to get to you know a proper town you know like this was where the whole community would go to get material well um he had a bunch of employees that would just you know come over and, and work and but it got to where it was so expensive to go back and forth to home and you know, it was like a journey that they would just stay here. Well, then they ended up taking wood from the mill and just construction little or putting together little houses so they could just like stay here Monday through Friday and then go home on the weekends. You know, so there was a one building. Like a bed and breakfast almost for the time. I guess you would say that. Yeah, they're just like little 1,200 foot, your 1,200 square foot little cottages. Um, mm-hmm. And they're all, you know, 100 plus years old now. And uh, like the one was a uh was a it was a woodshed that was they stored firewood in for the the store because there was a bunch of little pot belly wood stoves through there well they would end mm-hmm. up just go out and just sleeping in the wood pile at night and then go back to work the next morning and then they asked mr russell my great-grandfather like hey can we put an addition on the woodshed so that we could be a little more comfortable when we stay here overnight and he's like, <laughs> oh yeah go for it you know and so um now it's a little two-bedroom little house and it wasn't until the the late 50s early 60s that they actually put running water in there um for a kitchen and then the they had an outhouse in the yard which you just kept you know digging a you remember the old outhouses just a hole in the yard oh yeah when it fills up you dig a new hole and you drag that house over top of the new hole you know so that <laughs> you know that's how that place ran for a long time it wasn't until the gosh the 80s that they actually put the toilet in the house you know with its own wow. bathroom <clears throat> You know, How so, long did the sawmill run? Gosh, I I mean, I never saw it run. Um, I'd probably say till the early 50s. Cause is the like, water wheel still up or is it, has it been no, destroyed? No, that's or... all rotten and gone. The only thing left down there is just some old concrete walls where they defer the water through it. And there's some mm. steel pipe laying kind of near it where maybe the, the axle of the water wheel was. Like there's a little bit of that there. The, the, yeah. the building is still there that it was housed in, but it's all lean in and sunk in. And, you know, it's just kind of, it's just a, a shed that the horses can hide out in every, every now and then. Cause it's in the, so it's what in do you guys 
currently like what do you guys farm do you guys do farming and then uh obviously you have horses and yeah horses cows and we raise hay that's about hay. all we do now yeah um you know like my, my great-grandfather had herefords you know we have uh angus and semmentals right now that's mostly because of my wife like she enjoys she used to show cows as a as a kid growing up and do the beef expos and all that so she's all into it so she's the cow expert in the family for sure yeah I just drive the truck and open gates <laughs> and uh and eat, and eat them <laughs> yeah <laughs> just do it all. and then um so like i like the the joy i have at home is raising hay you know like i i'm an equipment nut you know i just love heavy equipment and tractors and diesels and you know so it's like my opportunity to be in a cab of a tractor for half a day and just listen to the radio or fortune brains cod podcast and (laughs) (laughs) almost a way to just to like decompress for a little bit and just kind of let your brain shut off it's it's peaceful you know we have a beautiful piece of property and just to not think about horses and go out and just mow hay and and scream at the weatherman yeah. <laughs> I bet though, like how many times did you figure something out on a shoe or something like that while you're out there driving the tractor thinking about something? That was the other oh my gosh. Thinking, I got yeah. that from, um, from Lamar Weaver, you know, a long time ago when I was first getting into competing, I talked to him about his practice routine and he said he builds shoes while he's driving down the road. And oh, just in his head. that made no sense to me for, for, for a few moments. And I was like, Oh, okay. And he said, yeah, I just build them over and over again in my head. Cause I've figured out how and where steel goes and how it gets there and, you know, think about section. And, and he says, I'd like to build it a few times in my head before I do it in the shop. And then I only do it once. And then I build shoes in the truck again for a few days, you know, in my head. Must be nice. And I do it, do it once again. <laughs> and I was like, that's, I'm going to have to adopt that. Cause I can't, like, I don't have, I shouldn't say, I should never say I don't have the time, but I like, I'm not in the shop every day, hours on hours on end. You know, I, I get very limited time to go out there, and it's usually at 9 o'clock at night. You know, I'll go out there for an hour or two and sort some things out, especially the week before a contest. You know, I'll try to go out there every night and, you know, for like an hour or two-hour window. But I build a lot of shoes in my head running equipment yeah. <laughs> driving down the road. So. <laughs> no, I, th- I think that's a huge one. That's, I remember, you remember the Spin to Win magazine? Like, I don't know if you guys... Oh, Team Roping? Yeah, it's a Team Roping magazine. Oh, Oh, okay. And there was a picture of uh, Speed Williams eating cereal, and he had, (laughs) had, like, there was, like, a thought balloon above him. He was roping roping steers in the thought balloon, like, and, like, that was the thing. (laughs) That was, like, the caption. It was always roping. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I do the same. Like, I, when I make random projects, I usually, that's the first time I made them in my hands but i have like remade it in my head over and over again and kind of ran into the problems that you're going to run into like yeah just envisioning it start it so what does like if a shoe list comes out what does practice look for you look like for you right now well uh, all right so the next shoe list is um is edgewood that andrew nielsen's judging you know so i haven't made any of them yet i've just been home for a week from madison but i've already thought about every one of them just riding down the road working you know shoeing horses or whatever and um so like the first thing i got to notice is like how much different from the original section did the shoe end up you know like with uh with pose shoes they were nothing close to the original section you know they were 
they were pretty thinned out. You know, they're like the individual class. You know, it's like, okay, I need to take in consideration that I'm going to have to really flatten these shoes, you know. So, that you know, I got to think about that in the in the process of building it. You know, but Andrew's shoes are like, wow, these are, um, you know, like, I shouldn't say wow, but like these are close to the section he started with. You know, like you look at a typical draft shoe and it's like, okay, is there, like what personality in this mass lit draft shoe that we have to make is is there? You know, and so it's for his shoe, it's a really nice toe and shape, you know, so like the ag mm-hmm. heels are kind of like straightforward, you know, they're solid. There's nothing crazy about them. <laughs> you know, the section through the branches are pretty straightforward. It's just like a, a proper way to build a draft shoe, you know, so it's like, okay, I just need to focus on having a strong clip, strong cl- um, toe and a good shape. You know, and so on and so forth through all the shoes. You know, you break down each one, and it's like, okay, I can tell what he's looking for in each in each one of these. So, do you think so like a to, shoe, a draft shoe like that, would be tough to judge amongst, say, a hundred different of them now? Like, if it gets to a hundred or whatever, if it's something like nothing crazy in the shoe that would uh, separate them, would that be pretty tough to kind of judge if you were in that shoes or in um, his shoes? Well, I would I would think that he would be um, looking for the personality in the shoe that he has. You know that that's going to separate the top, the whole entire top table from the other tables. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it'll go from there. So, like if you pull off that shape and that toe, and that um, masslet, then you're going to be on the top table. Yeah, you know, in the hunt. You know, you know. So, like I think if you categorize your tables as you go, um, you know, for what shoes. Are, like need the least amount of work to make it match the specimen, you know, the, the higher up you'll be. So the first time you go so, and cut steel, are you just going to go ahead and run the class then? No, I, I never really run the, any class. I count heats, you know, you have an hour. So like that shoe or each class, I give myself 22 heats. And if I can get both shoes built in 22 heats, that gives me 15 to 20 minutes to, check nails, check flat, brush them, file them, you know, if it's a hammer finish class or not, you know, you kind of sort those things out, but that gives me a 15 minute window after 22 heats. So 22 um, heats total, not each shoe. Total. Right. Correct. Yeah. Between the two. So I know that if I go back and forth between two shoes, 22 times, I'll have 15 minutes left on the clock, you know, cause you think two minute heats, you know, that's 44 minutes, mm-hmm. Yeah. you know, so no, that's, it, it, so, you don't hear so anybody that, really breaking it down like that very often. So, so well, that was that's just from me being an old math nerd. But um, if you break it down like that, then when I'm building those shoes for, all right, like for Madison, that individual go, you know, everybody was having a struggle getting that going, you know, getting that class finished. So I'm like, okay, well, let me see what I can do with each shoe. So I built each shoe in like 13 heats each. I'm like, that's too that's too many. I have to start having a different game plan on building these shoes and less and less heats. And so then I could get them built in 11 each one. I'm like, okay, now I'm in my window. I need to refine it or if I can speed it up any more than I can, you know, and then say, like, okay, I can actually, so now I try as fast as I can, you know, like I'll like, okay, it's possible for me to get these shoes done in eight. So I don't want to do that because it's a hammer finish class. I don't want to speed through something and make it look heinous mm-hmm. so so anyway so i i usually don't do ever do any time goes because it's it's pointless 
I for me to do that, you know, I shouldn't say it's pointless. That was like a wrong yeah. thing to say, but <laughs> but it, it doesn't benefit me. All I do is wear myself out for an hour and I cut the forge off and go back, you know, go do something else. Because like after you do a time you're go gassed. like that, yeah, you're pretty gassed. Like if I turn right around and do another one, it's gonna be worse than the first one. You know, so like I I had my one shot and I blew it. You know, but if I go in the shop and I'm like, okay, I'm only gonna build this shoe and I want to count my heats and see if it matches the specimen. And then by the time you, the day comes around, it becomes muscle memory. You just roll through. Do you think like it gives you that time to think about it in between heats? Like that you get to like stop evaluate compared to like, if you're in the clock, you're just like, Oh, I had no time to even think about it. I just got to. Yeah, because a long time ago, I would do that. I would do time go after time go after time go. And I'm, I'm wound up with a pile of turds on the floor. I didn't really, yeah. I didn't really gain, yeah. go anywhere from shoe to shoe. But when I started th- doing each shoe individually and counting my heats, then every shoe got better. And that was, it was good to see progress with less effort. And for like each evening, would you just be focusing on just like one shoe or would you try to mix in both like individual shoes or just be focusing on one? I would try, I would try to mix it up depending on my time frame. You know, Mm. sometimes like, um, like that French hind we just had to make for, for Mike, that one was frustrating me. So I would think about it during the day and I'm like, Oh wait, I know what I'm going to do. And then like, I would think of a cool trick while I'm driving on the road like that, you know, that like Swiss heel he had on the medial. So yep. it was hard to get the section run up right ahead of that heel. So, yeah, because the masslet would be in the way or, or whatnot. And uh, so, you know how you've seen some people twist the branch on a draft shoe, you know, to get it out of the way so you can build your heel quarter? Mm-hmm. Man, I came out on that branch, and I just twisted it out the way, and I was like, take the round side of my hammer and forge all the way up to the inside of that, and that worked. I, I saved myself <laughs> so much time doing that. I was like that. So I thought about that working one day and I couldn't wait to get home to try it. You know, so I, I just worked on, you know, that, that was the only shoe I worked on that evening was doing a go or two with that. Yeah. 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 So, so I wasn't there at Madison. Did you get to see the, uh, the shoes in hand that, uh, Andrew made? Did he have them there? Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, question I have is the side bone bar shoe. Is that one, uh, graduated on the medial side? Oh yeah. Yeah. And, it, yeah. and then the bar is like tapered hard, you know, it goes from, you know, like maybe half inch thick all the way down to maybe okay. five sixteenths on the lateral. Yeah. I only got one picture of it. It was from the ground and I couldn't tell from that. So that's why I was yeah. curious. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. Cool. Um, That'll be a pretty I'd... cool, cool one to go to. I, I still, I don't think I'll make it to that one. I'm pretty bummed out because Andrew's judging it. But it's how cool is that for you to go to of a guy that you've kind of gotten the practice with a bunch, be on a team with a bu- like, and now here he is going to judge a bunch of work. Like, do you yeah. feel like you have a leg up going into it? No, I don't think I have a leg up. That's what's awesome about the folded tags at WCB. You know, they it stays pretty anonymous, so I, I enjoy it. But I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to – I don't, I don't mean in that way. Like, uh, do you feel like you know his personality very well? So, like, you're going to be able to give him what you know he's going to be looking for. Oh, I see what you're saying. Um, yeah, like, you like kind of Like, you like Mike, learn. even. You kind of know Mike yeah. has these, like, little pet peeves. And you're like, well, I'm going to stay the fuck away from those. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, yeah. And that's, I, I tried to do that. Yeah, for sure. Sometimes you overdo it, you know, and, or underdo it. But, like, you could kind of read that no matter who they are in the specimens, you know, what they care about the most, you know, because of the, like, the personality characteristics in each one. But, but yeah, I, I do feel like I know Mike really well and Andrew really well and, and what they would like. And um, I kind of keep that in the back of my mind. But it's funny how it comes back down to basics with anybody, you know, so it's, I don't think it's really any different than if anybody else was judging it. I'll be honest with you, you know, yeah, at the end sure. of the day, it's, it's intention, it's fit, it's flat, you know, it's clean. It's then that, that does, that's going to do well with anybody. No, I wow. think that's spot on. How's it been working on the team this year with, our friend Troy Wood. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, he's he's a cool dude. Man, handy as it gets. Like it's just it blows my mind he's how he's boring. only been doing it for three, almost four years now. It's still just blows yeah. me away. <laughs> yeah. Like we when he first made the team, we had our first practice. So I was like, All right, here we go. You know, it's like let's <laughs> you know, okay. let's break them in you know what we're looking for and, and, and as he just smiles and nods and goes okay and then and does it and i remember doing our first horse together it's like what do you think and i picked the foot up and i was like uh yeah just um yeah just keep doing that that works <laughs> he's like no really tear it apart and i'm like you paired stan what do you mean say you know like you did good man <laughs> that's cool i think get that's what it that's what it is. Like a lot of it is with about him is just like, you can show Troy something once or just tell it to him. And he, he gets like, he clicks there's zero confusion and he can make his hands do it. He's just like, yeah. Okay. Here you go. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. It's like with bevels, you know, like he, those cool because he's he like he's never mailed nailed a bevel into a foot you know, or never (laughs) nailed a ag heel draft shoe on ever. Dude, it's so funny that like it was like a week or two before he knew he was going to make the team and he brought, we had like our last little team practice and he brought me a bevel and he's like, here's the first bevel I made. And like on the medial branch, he had beveled the inside of the medial branch with the safing. And so like the beveling <laughs> matched the safing on the, like the, like, so the inside, the inside bevel like folded in <laughs> on the medial and i was like dude what the fuck do you do that for he's like well i don't know i've never made a bevel before i was like and you're gonna be on the wcb team like next week yeah and like we um in practicing for the winter classic you know we had to put heels back on horses and we had a practice but my draft horse fell through so i couldn't get we couldn't have a go and he was like, man, I've been building these Acula draft shoes, but I never nailed one on. And I'm like, well, I guess you're going to nail your first one on at the contest. At the contest. And we won that class. <laughs> it's like, Troy, this never happens, just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, he, he shot his first draft horse with me, and we were doing a draft horse demo at like some like big harvest festival with like oh, 200 shit. people standing around he's like he's like i've never shot a draft horse before i'm like well we're just gonna like dumb through this like i i'm not that worried man like yeah i think you're gonna be all right <laughs> yeah he's done great yeah it's been it's been fun it's a good we're having a good time with the team this year we uh and we're going up to um you know canada to the clydesdale world clydesdale show again 
So that'll be oh, yeah. a good adventure. Yeah, Riley and I were kind of chatting about that the other day, about the uh, the tow bar. You guys have to put the tow bars on there, up there, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were just chatting like, fuck, whenever we do tow bars, it seems like our flux doesn't want to work and they just fall off or something and it just be our luck during the go. Yeah. They're temperamental. Yeah. Here go. Luckily, we got them all stuck last year. I hope we stick them all again this year. And you definitely learn how to, you know, punch those shoes too because, like, it's cool when you get a tow bar on a draft shoe. When you go to nail it on, it's like you, you see it entirely different because it's you pitch those toenails out and the nail shank is rubbing the tow bar and it's mm. like well i'm gonna punch oh, the next yeah. one different yeah <laughs> you know because all <laughs> you see is the nail head and the fuller and you don't think about the the track it took before it got there you know so you want to make sure you're punched down in the branch far enough and uh that makes I learned so a lot. sense yeah because i was I... trying to make it as tight as i could to the tow bar and we did our first horse together last year i was like whoa this doesn't going good <laughs> <laughs> There's like uh, there's a lot of like law. I bet you had a lot of like uh, working horses around like your farm area too. But there's a lot of working horses around here, and you would see on some of those old tow bars where they would bevel the inside, so it almost looks like a tool and fullard section getting nailed on. Huh? Bevel the inside of the bar itself, or the inside of the draft shoe? The bar, the tow bar. Just the bar. The tow bar. The tow bar is almost like a tool and fullard section. Huh? And I've always, I've always wondered, it's like, oh, maybe it's for clean out or something like that. But now after you said that, I wonder if it is just purely this guy was like, oh, I I want the tow bar all the way back and I want it the fuck out of the way when I'm driving the nails. (laughs) Yeah, maybe that would make sense. That would be way easier if that back sharp edge was gone, nailing up the toenail. That's like, yeah, that's what it is. It's just like hammered up, just at a Mm -hmm. slope. (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it's something you wouldn't. I because I would have never thought. I've never nailed one on, so I've never even. Me either. Had that worry. So, yeah. what's your plan for competing from now? Are you just gonna keep riding this out, or? Yeah, yeah, just riding along, see how it goes. Like another five years, ten years. Oh, I don't know. Um, I mean, I imagine I get. I'd like to. I mean, I imagine everybody takes a break at some point. I just don't see. I don't see anything telling me right now that I, that I have to, you know? Yeah. So I, I want to keep going, you know, so we'll see how this year pans out. Um, hopefully if everybody in the family stays strong and healthy and, you know, the wheels stay right. greased, just keep rocking on. But, you know, if something trips up around here and I need to be home a little more often, then it'd be easy to just be like, well, maybe I'll take a break for a little bit, tidy up things around here. Are you guys so, going to any international contest on the team together this year? Other just than the that Canadian. one and yeah, just that Canadian one. That's the only one. Um, other than that, we're doing the, you know, the Southeastern team challenge down at Joey mm-hmm. Heights. You got to go well, to the Australian one a few years ago, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Yeah. The yeah. What was that like down there? Um, it was neat. Cause I'd never been to Australia before, you know, so it was a kind of a neat to see a different culture and um the people were nice. They were super hospitable. The food was mm-hmm. was good. Jukes told me when I got there, he's like, Make sure you get a meat pie. I was like, All right, I'll get a meat pie. You know, yeah. I was waiting. He was right. Tell you that. <laughs> so um so I had a meat pie every day at that fair. It was pretty 
so it was good <laughs> yeah it was really good and then it was cool because like you could tell australia was like america in the 80s you know when it comes to like rules and regulations <laughs> yeah because because they had they had a big arena there where they had a monster truck show and a demolition derby and <laughs> like there wasn't a fence anywhere like you could just go in the arena if you wanted to you know like god damn you know, like like they drove the they drove the trucks like through the crowd to get to the arena you know like and That's uh time. You know, it's like it's like i just went to a uh like a redneck event from the 80s you know like that's except it's today <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> you know so it was kind of cool they were that, uh, that sounds uh, sounds amazing I, it's funny like the australian people i've met are never what you think they're gonna be like like the first one i met was was mick you know michael saunders he yeah. came and just stayed yeah. with me and he's like i was like you are american like you are you you are a redneck american <laughs> with an accent yeah, yeah exactly yeah. it's like definitely man it's funny how like there are rednecks in every country that i've gone to you know there's oh, yeah. and we happen to find them they or they find us one of the two well do you, you think know, it's like, just because we're horseshoers that we're just mingled in or I, I don't i think it's a little deeper than just horseshoers you know yeah. like um the we went to canada this was when i was on the team with like um you know the buddy apron team with russ height and well and mike poe and and travis burns back before i made the wcb team we were like hey let's go to that contest in in canada it's like uh was it goshen or no no it's connecticut yeah not connecticut which what was it called it's just north there it's on the east side of canada it's not far oh i'm drawing a blank but anyway we get there and um you know, we check in and, and, uh, the, the guy hosting was like, Hey, we're going to have some barbecue and burgers and stuff over at the house. And, you know, if y'all want to come over, come, you know, which I think the WCB team went, uh, I think the AFT was there. Like it was cool. We get there, they were blasting anvils. The guy had a rebel flag on every <laughs> piece of equipment there, you know, like his whole refrigerator door was a rebel flag in they Canada this, in Canada. And I'm like, <laughs> Am I in Alabama or am I in <laughs> Canada? You know, like, I was like, this is the biggest, we got, there's more rednecks here than are back at home, you know? And, <laughs> and of course, like, like me with my farm, I have all my local buddies, which I think you guys have met my friend, Ronnie, like he's a diesel mechanic. He, he's gone with me to a couple contests, just hang out. He helped me work on Craig's truck, you know? So like, so he's like my neighbor, local buddy, you know, that comes over and, and we just get in trouble together. We yeah, fix shoot equipment, shit, drink beer. Yeah shoot rifles off the back porch in the middle of the night and you know so like we went to this guy's house all of his like redneck neighbors came over too that aren't horseshoers you know that you know so this one guy shows up in this like blacked out peterbilt with like triple turbos on it oh, it's fuck. like check this thing out like this is yeah they're rednecks everywhere <laughs> like that was pretty cool i felt right at home <laughs> like, it's my definition of a good time <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, blow, it. Explosions it is like and... a, cer a certain type of people always finds a certain type of people. You know what I mean? No matter what you do for yeah. a living or like where you're from, you, we all yeah. kind of will gravitate together and it's like, <laughs> yeah. end, up, yeah. end up finding each other. Cause it is like, <laughs> there's other horseshoers that are involved. Horseshoe. I don't want nothing to fucking do with. It's like, you're not my type of people. Right. <laughs> we, yeah. we aren't going to the same things <laughs> yeah. and you are into the same things I'm into. <laughs> it's like, yeah. But it is yeah. like, like the people are like competitors mostly you know like go to a wcb you're like for the most part these are my type of people like because it just kind of yeah. 
generates that type of you know or i guess that's the type of people that gravitate towards it you know what's yeah, craig, like-minded people yeah. yeah what's craig saying that it is a uh, your tribe attracts your vibe your your vibe attracts your tribe or something yeah exactly <laughs> it same is thing <laughs> absolutely <laughs> well carl a question we like to ask people our guests on the show is <laughs> who would you consider to be on like your mount rushmore basically four people that you look up to and hold in a high regard and respect. Oh man. Just in general. Um, gosh, where, where would that, where would that all begin? I should have known this question was coming and had an answer for it. Cause I remember hearing you ask the other, other people on the show. Um, well, we've asked a bunch of people, and I still don't have my uh, three and four answers yet. So, yeah. <laughs> just one and two. <laughs> yeah, just one and two so far. Um. Well, uh, I mean, I would probably, if I don't have my number one as my wife, like that would be the smartest number one answer. You know, that up to be. up to the most. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then uh, of course my dad. You know, like he taught me everything I know, um, aside from horseshoeing you know, just how to run a business and, um, you know, just run a farm and fix about everything that needs to be fixed, you know, electrical, plumbing, carpentry work, you know, and then, uh, after that, I would say the most inspirational person in my career would be Craig, you know, just, uh, right off the bat, you know, he could tell that, uh, you know, I needed help and he gave me really good advice and really good help and showed me some really good basics on, on, um, on being a successful competitor. And so that was really cool. So he would be, he would be up there. Um, now I probably have to think about the fourth one for a while. So maybe that'll, do you think being a successful competitor has helped you out in your shoeing business? Oh my God. I can talk for another hour about that. (laughs) You know, well, I think a lot of people misconstrue that, you know, like, Oh, he's just good at beating on horseshoes or whatever, but, yeah, no, I, I could literally just run my mouth about how monumental that is, being a competitor, as being a good horseshoer, you know, and that's, it's it's amazing how you admit to yourself as a competitor your faults, you know, because if you're a good competitor, you find your faults and you conquer your faults and you get over them and you move on. Well, that happens in your business too, with your horses that you work on every day. And I remember the guy that I first apprenticed with, he, like I said, he was a tester and he was all in the AFA and all that stuff, but he wasn't an avid competitor. And because, and he believed that the certification was um, not real horseshoeing. He's like, this is just a test. It's not everyday work. Don't do that every day. He's like, you got a toe clip for the test, but when we get away from here, you forget how to do that. You know, like he was a set him back and out the back kind of guy. And mm-hmm. um, every horse had the same shape from quarter or side clip to side clip like no matter what yeah. so yeah. so so anyway um so i i started my business shoeing like that you know like all the vets really loved me because you know they you know i called myself the terminator you know because that's what the you know <laughs> the, the, the guy the guy i rode with you know he he was like man you're not afraid to take the toe off of them and i'm like it's what they like isn't it you know like and i was just going after it you know i was I was doing that for a long, for years. And then all my feet just had this like staple shaped kind of bull nose kind of thing going on. Oh, yeah. And I'd, oh, yeah. I'd blame it on all kinds of things, but the shoeing. And 
Um, and then when I, uh, I started competing as a, like a WCB competitor, I was like, well, I better, I can't, sh I can't toe clip any of my clients' horses. I can't show them that I'm fitting feet, you know, with their horses. I want to practice on our horses at home. And what happened is all my horses at home went from like these nubby, nasty little staples to having like straight hoof wall and quarter and shape and depth. And I had to eat a lot of my words when I went to back to all my clients and they, I had, I had to tell them that I've been messing their horses up for a long time and that if yeah. they trust me, I'm going to fit them a little different. It's going to look weird at first to them. I was like, but I promise you their hoof wall quality will be better and we won't be losing as many shoes. We won't have missing hoof wall where the nails are and the side clips. And, and they, they're like, are you serious? Are you admitting to me that you screwed my horse up? And I'm like, yeah, I've learned the hard way. I'm sorry. You know, like, but it's going to, if you'll bear with me, I'm going to switch gears. And, uh, and I kept most of my people because I was like, just give it a chance, give it two, three shoeings. And I, if, it, if it's wrong, if they, if you can't show, if they're not sound, if you can't do what you want to do, I promise I'll go back to what I was doing. And they're like, okay. Then sure enough, like every client horse hoof quality improved and it was really cool to see them like keep tabs on me too. You know, they were like, you're right. You were messing my horse's feet up. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm, I swear I'm going to get better. I'm actually going to pay attention to the front half of the foot now. Thanks to my, my peers with this, you know, um, with this competition ring, you know, that I'm hanging out with. It's like, they seem to, they all have really successful careers and, um, have really nice horses, like really nice feet. So I want to have nice feet. Yeah. So anyway, so it's only gone better since then. And then like, it got to the point where I would hyper-focus on different aspects from whatever advice I got from the previous contest, you know? So, um, one of my most memorable moments was a concave job. Um, it was a front foot toe clipped and I asked Bodie to look at it and he looked at it and he was like, were you even trying to put the toe clip in the center or you just didn't care? <laughs> and cause it's at one thirty, it's not at 12 o'clock. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, what are you talking about? Why are you relating the, this is foot to a clock, you know? And he was like, look, and he took his ruler and laid it right up the, you know, the center sulcus to the apex. He was like, this is where the toe clip needs to be. I was like, oh my God. I didn't even know that's what you looked at. I thought I just had to be somewhere between the toenails and it didn't matter. You know? And uh, I was like, I can't believe I've made it this far. And I never looked at that, you know? And, how like, long do you think you'd been competing up to that point or just like shooing at that point and like just aiming for the toe clip in that general area? Oh, from this is in 2016 that he told me this. So a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I passed my journeyman not caring where the toe clip was. <laughs> it just happened to be okay. You know, like somewhere, you know, like, I mean, I wouldn't have it like heinously like over next to a toenail, but yeah. I would obviously clip where my center dot was, and I would just do a general offset for every foot, whether the foot was more or less offset. And I was, and I always wondered for years, I'm like, how are they figuring out that this one needs more offset than that one? You just get your heels right and pull it back. It's a big <laughs> deal, you know. Oh, so you're just basically putting a smack dab in center, but you're adjusting the shoe to cover. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was just twisting the heels around to. Yeah. <laughs> where they were probably length and that's a toe clip in you know and I, i'd made it 
a long time just doing that. So anyway, like, so then all I could do was go to every one of my stops and see where my toe clip was. And every one of them was to tick off. I was like, oh my God, that's terrible. You know, and so then I hated all my work, you know, and so then I was like, okay. And then I started understanding offset and started building shoes different. And it was, I was like, that's, that was a pretty monumental remembering. Like, that was a good thing to remember was that thing that Bodie told me about. You know, and then center heel, center steel, you know, like I'd kind of had a grasp on that, but then, you know, that kind of got dialed in competing, you know, now I can't help but not notice it covering a horse. Right. It makes me oh, angry. Yeah. You know, like if it's not quite there, I'm like, ah, I got to go back to the anvil, and, you know, bring it in or out a little bit. And, you know, and then the, it's just crazy how tight my clinches stay and, and feet stay gathered up, got depth to them. So yeah, being a competitor has changed my shoeing career tremendously in and in the in, in a good way it makes you so self-aware yeah very self-aware yeah. and you're like you know you know it's possible right i think that's what happens like maybe not self-aware of like self-accountable we're like maybe those other guys are seeing it too and be like whatever i gotta move on with my day it's not that big of a deal but to like you yeah. like that's a big deal it sounds like yeah it was a super big deal to be self-accountable and to see the feet get better and better as I move along through each, you know, through each phase of my competition career, you know, to where now, you know, like I like to help if I can with, um, you know, like my apprentice or anybody that's around me about being efficient and being efficient with seeing the arcs of a foot and then understanding that there's no corners or flat spots in a coffin bone. And as soon as that started clicking in, I'm like, yeah, like, it's soft ovals it's either a short squatty one or a long narrow one and you have three bends in it whether it's a front or a hind and you just think about that while you're trimming and it, then fit came faster and then fit came easier and so like the the personalities and a um, you know and a judge's shoe list you see the personalities in the feet as you're trimming them every day you know mm-hmm. so Everybody has that standard shoe that they make off the anvil when they're in the shop making a, a front or a hind. If you stack all your practice shoes up without a horse, they all look the same stacked up. You know, mm-hmm. so you have that in your head. You're like, you know what your standard is. You know, so you're looking at the horse you're trimming and you're like, what characteristic is different on this one than, than my standard? And then you take care of their personality, you know, their characteristic that's different. And, you know, so, um, I, you know, they, I did a, I did like a fitting clinic at, at Wellshod and, you know, I, I told everybody there that, um, one thing I, I focus on is, uh, as I, I name feet, which is kind of dumb and goofy, but you know, like I like calling some feet Karen. What do you mean you name them? You know, like, uh, like, (laughs) like I, I just give them, I just give them names, you know, like, uh, like a Karen, you know, is like a, a, a name that gets beat up a lot, you know, in these days. But like, so if I get a foot and I cover up the left side and the right side and the one, like the left side does not look like the right side. So I'm like, this is one bipolar foot and this one's going to get you in trouble. Don't talk to her at the bar. You know, like this is, <laughs> you know, like this one's going to call the vet on you every time because when they, when that owner or vet looks at that foot and you got like a, a hind lateral and a front medial, something's wrong. Like they're like, yeah. 
you know, so that's <laughs> going to get you in trouble every time. Like every Karen I know gets you in trouble every time. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. so, so anyway, so, so I think about that when I pick the foot up and it has two different shapes from medial to lateral. I'm like, oh, Karen, oh, we're going to fight, aren't we? You know, so um, I think about that at the anvil, you know, and, uh, you know, so, you know, I got, I like watching movies. What do you, you know, so what's that movie gone in 60 seconds? You know, you got Eleanor is like that, you know, yep, that car, that Nicholas Cage. Yeah. So it's like my perfect shape that I make at home is my Eleanor, you know. So when I draw that foot at a contest or everyday work, I'm like, hey, Eleanor. And I just talk nice <laughs> to her. And, and, you know, and then I, all, all I have to do is just is just trust my ruler and go make a nice shoe, you know, because it's going to go right on there. <laughs> you know, like, you know, and so I then I like a. Uh like if you're calling them names i'm thinking like you see a club foot and you're like this one's just like billy bob or something like that yeah <laughs> you can be whatever name you want it to be yeah just so you remember it when you're over at the anvil you know but so that's like so hard about competitions is you go to a competition and you're like talking to a guy from a different area or something and he's like oh yeah you know i kind of drew an eleanor and so this is what i did and you're like what the fuck just happened fuck like, what, did, what did he do <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, that's why it's like, it could be, it definitely be weird, you know, so like, I'm not trying to set like a, um, you know, a name card, you know, for yeah. go-to, but like, it, that's just what goes through my mind, you know, just so that, especially match play, you know, like, um, like, oh, yeah. you know, like if it's like a, a clubby square, you know, it goes straight out, you know, like like a bold toe and then goes straight to the quarters and then like got late rappy heels, like, so that's like, what I'm thinking of a Billy Bob. Yeah, I, 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 you're, that's Billy Bob for you. It's Hillary for me. Big hair and a pantsuit, you know. So sounds about right. <laughs> so, so, so I think about that when I pull my measurement and I go to the chop saw and I'm like, "All right, Hillary, here we go." You know, it's like got the pantsuit on, like, no it's quarters. Gonna be, gonna be gonna be a wrestling match. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. we're gonna argue this whole time and. uh you know, and so, but that's just, I think being, that just helps you with being efficient. So like match play, you know, people hate match play. People love match play. I think that if they do good at it, they love it. If they don't do good at it, they hate it. You know, I've had contests where I'm like out and out. You don't even win one round and then, and then I've won a couple match plays. So it's, it's kind of a love hate relationship, but it teaches you a lot, you know, like, so I try to match play every day at work. You know, like I only give myself one opportunity, you know, to go to the foot. That's all you have in match play. You don't get to look at it on the foot and go back and change something. So it's really cool to see match play get judged at how many shoes get put on that foot that are nailable. And it's like, yeah. wow, that's people that are holding themselves accountable, you know, with the time they had at the anvil. And if you apply that at work, you'll be surprised at how efficient you can be. You know, you can just limit yourself to one heat per shoe even if you're just shaping keg shoes come out and pull a clip and shape it up and it's like all right what's that one what's that characteristic about that foot that let me make sure i covered is it that one late quarter is it the high medial quarter is it you know what is it did i get it you know you better say yeah you know before, before you even go over there mm-hmm. you should be go over there it goes right on it's like oh that's cool you know so you next thing you know you've gone through a couple horses and not, you know making good time in the day 
your wife hasn't caught you in the middle of the night like talking about oh Eleanor oh Eleanor and wonder like <laughs> who the hell is this Eleanor you're talking about <laughs> no, she, no no she hasn't done anything like that but she's my best critic though on shoes like if I make if I was I'll be in a shop all night trying to make an auction item or something like out of aluminum and and uh, I come in the house it's like 11:30 and I set it on the counter and she's like getting ready to go to bed or whatever she looks at it and she's like it's racked puts it back down walks off oh shit like you kidding me (laughs) i look at it and i guess she's right it's racked i gotta start over again you know like those those copper ones those (laughs) copper ones you made uh not too long ago were pretty freaking cool too they were fun and that that stuff i got half by one copper on amazon it was like a dollar or fifty dollars a foot that's what i was wondering where did you find copper like that yeah, it was a three-foot stick for 150 bucks on Amazon. <laughs> I was like, the well, most expensive place you could probably possibly buy <laughs> copper. I know. I looked around. I couldn't find like, <laughs> that big of a section anywhere. Like, well, let me look on Amazon. Why not? They got everything else. <laughs> wonder if they Amazon's got concave. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, Carl... I appreciate you taking your time out of your practice, away from your your family and your evening wife time, you know. I know, like, for me, that's a nice time to wind down and hang out with the family. But we appreciate you taking your time with us. And of course. And I think there's some really good tidbits in here for everybody trying to be a competitor or just trying to be more efficient in your everyday work and holding yourself accountable. So uh, thank you very yeah. much, man, for spitting some knowledge at everybody. Yeah, thank you, Carl. Yeah, I feel like we haven't even been on the phone that long. So much to talk about. uh, (laughs) But I enjoyed it. I, uh, you guys do an awesome job with the podcast, and uh, a lot of good information's been delivered to you guys. It's been pretty cool. I've enjoyed listening to them, and look forward to the future ones. We appreciate appreciate it, it, man. Thanks, Carl. Thanks, bud. So, yeah, man. We'll see y'all soon. Be good. Sounds good.